All right, First Kings chapter 5, and um, the background for this is fulfilling David's dream. Solomon's uh, desire is to fulfill his father's dream, and uh, in first, uh, excuse me, in San, uh, Psalms 132, verse 3, surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes, uh, or slumber to mine eyelids, until I find out a place for the Lord, and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. That's Psalm 132, verses 3 to 5. And David writes this about his passion for the Lord. He goes on even in another psalm, in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So the Lord knows David's heart. Obviously, God did not give permission for David uh, to build the temple. He was fighting wars, expanding, defending the borders of the land. Uh, he didn't have time to supervise the building of a complex, uh, beautiful structure. Uh, obviously, building projects are a tremendous amount of work. Solomon was a man of peace, and God had used him and selected him for the task of building his temple. And uh, since the days of Moses, the Israelites had brought their sacrifices to the tabernacle. There was, though, as they are now settled in the land, they have their land for themselves. The, each tribe has been allocated a particular lots of land. They're in the promised land. And uh, the nations around them had really uh, dedicated to their false gods, and they had temples. And it was only proper that Israel and her land that God had given to them would have a magnificent temple to honor uh, Jehovah, the Lord God Almighty. And so there... Uh, we go forward with this. And so in the second month of the year, roughly 966, uh, the fourth year of his reign, Solomon begins this work. And uh, these chapters, chapter uh, 5, uh, 6, and 7, kind of begin to deal detail some of this. There's a lot of details in this with respect to how much gold and all of that. Uh, I will mention it. Uh, I won't go into uh, a great elaboration, but I will mention uh, what is here in these uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of 1 Kings. Uh, and so as we look at this, let's look at the first 12 verses here of uh, 1 Kings chapter 5. A little lengthier portion, but kind of uh, going forward with the temple. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his uh, servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they anointed him king in the room of his father, for Hiram was ever a lover of David. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how that David, my father, could not build an house into the name of the Lord his God, for the wars which were about him on every side, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But then now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. And behold, I purpose to build an house into the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spake unto David, my father, saying, Thy son whom I have set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house into my name. Now, therefore, command thou that they may, that, excuse me, that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon. And my servants shall be with thy servants, and unto thee will I give hire for thy servants according to all that thou shalt appoint. For thou knowest that there is not among us any that can skill to hew timber like unto the Sidonians." And it came to pass when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, which hath given unto David a wise son over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the things which thou sentest to me, for 
And I will do all thy desire concerning timber of cedar and concerning timber of fir. My servant shall bring them down from Lebanon into the sea, and I will convey them by the sea in floats into the place that thou shalt appoint me, and will cause them to be discharged there, and thou shalt receive them, and thou shalt accomplish my desire in giving food for my household. So Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat for food to his household and 20 measures of pure oil. Thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon and they two made a league together. And uh, so here, in anticipation of the temple, Solomon is securing materials. He's anticipating all that needs to go on now, in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14, uh, there is David uh, securing certain amounts of materials. For instance, it says in 22, verse 14 of 1 Chronicles, Now behold, in my trouble, I prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold, and a thousand thousand talents of silver, and of brass, and iron without weight, for it is abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. So this amounts to about, uh, as the author mentions here, 3,750 tons of gold, 37,500 tons of silver, and an unmeasured amount of brass, or excuse me, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And uh, this would be publicly presented to Solomon. Uh, David had given his treasury here. You know, when you think about how much the final treasury was that was given to Solomon, 4,050 tons of gold, over 38,000 tons of silver, and thousands and thousands of tons of the other materials. So it's a pretty good start to building a temple. And uh, the, the plans for the temple had been given uh, by the Lord. And uh, David had also assembled artisans. He needed workers, right, uh, to build this place. It's not just you're going to have it overnight. And so uh, God also gives Hiram... Uh, who had provided incredible workers, as it had mentioned here, uh, there was none so skilled in timber like the Sidonians, verse 6. And so David had enlisted help in preparing the wood. And uh, we find in 2 Samuel 5.11, Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David in cedar trees and carpenters and maces, and they built David in house. So David had already uh, secured a good relationship with Hiram, and uh, they brought incredible amounts of wood uh, for Solomon and in the temple. So Hiram sends greetings and upon the coronation of Solomon becoming king. And Solomon, you know, obviously responds with a thankfulness for uh, all the help there in the construction. And uh, Hiram also says, listen, I, I was a lover of your father. I, I, he and I were good friends. We enjoyed each other. And when you think about this, you know, David had told Hiram about the covenant, the fact that uh, you know, the Davidic covenant, that there would always be someone on David's seat, the same one's throne. Now, it's the Lord Jesus Christ today to fulfill that. But nevertheless, Hiram was told by David about the covenant that God had given to him and the place in the prominence of Israel. So Solomon made it clear that he was going to construct this temple. And uh, this was not a monument to his father. The, the temple uh, was not just his father's idea. The, mon the temple was for God's honor and his glory. And First uh, Kings chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, we see this. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest in every side. And then verse 5, And behold, I purpose to build an house into the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying. And the verse goes on. But nevertheless, we find in these verses 
that it's clear that this temple is to God. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 8. We'll look at verses 16 through 20. Chapter 8, verses 16 through 20. There's a number of passages here uh, with respect to uh, the temple. And so we'll look at these. But just how clear it was that the temple was to God. It's not just uh, some great idea. It's not just a, a Jewish monument. It's not just a, a Jewish thing. No, God says, I'm putting my name upon that place. And so God really does want a, a local place to dwell uh, for his people. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 16, Since the day that I brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build and house, that my name might be therein. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build an house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord said unto David, my father, Whereas it was in thine heart to build an house unto my name, Thou didst well that it was in thine heart. Nevertheless, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son that shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house unto my name. And the Lord hath performed his word that he spake, and I am risen up in the room of David my father, and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised, and have built an house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Uh, verse 29, you'll find this again in the middle part of the verse. My name shall be there. Uh, you go to verse 33. Uh, again, you find this. Uh, when thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy because they have sinned against thee and shall turn again to thee and confess thy name and pray and make supplication unto thee in this house. So again, there's a coming to God. Verse 35, we see the same uh, idea here. If they pray towards this place, in the latter portion of the verse, and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou afflictest them. And then verse 41 through 44, uh, particularly verse 43, uh, that all the uh, people of the earth may know thy name to fear thee as do thy people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. Uh, and then you would see that at the end of verse 44, uh, and toward the house that I have built for thy name. And so God is very clear that this temple is not just a place uh, for Israel to uh, be like the other nations. This is an exclusive place uh, unto the creator God of all the earth. And uh, so Solomon requests master artisans. Uh, and as you go through the, the chapters here of First Kings and understand and look at what kind of men had incredible carpentry skills uh, to be able to build this temple. And uh, so in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 13... Chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre, verse 14. He was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in brass, and he was filled with wisdom and understanding and cunning to work all works in brass. And he came to King Solomon and wrought all his work. So, Hiram is not the king here, it's another man named Hiram, but he brings to him a man who is a worker in brass. I mean, this guy just knows how to deal with brass. He's a skilled laborer. Uh, we would understand also 2 Chronicles, if you want to look with me there, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 2, a little bit more. So when God builds something, he does it with great precision and uh, care. And uh, he had given great wisdom to Solomon to be able to gather men. Uh, that could do incredible work upon the temple. 
Second Chronicles chapter uh, two, verse thirteen. Second Chronicles two thirteen. And now I have sent a cunning man, endued with un- the understanding of Hiram, uh, excuse me, Huram, my father's, the son of a man of the daughter of Dan, and his father was a man of Tyre, skillful to work in gold and in silver and brass and iron and stone and in timber and purple and blue and in fine linen and in crimson, also to grave any manner of graving and to find out every device which shall be put to him with thy cunning men, and with the cunning men of my Lord David thy father. And so here is an, a, a man of incredible abilities. Uh, he was a son of a mixed marriage. His father was a Phoenician. His mother was a tribe of uh, Naphtali. But he was an incredibly gifted worker. Uh, so God brought everything that was necessary uh, for the building of his temple unto his name, which obviously as we have looked at, that Israel's uh, position amongst the world was a light uh, to be an ambassador for God uh, about the, uh, the truth of God and that they needed to put their faith in God. And when they look at the works that Israel had done, that God had done, not God, that Israel had done, but that God had done through Israel, I mean, you have the miracles there in Egypt, getting them out of Egypt. You have all the plagues. You have the crossing the Red Sea. You have the manna in the wilderness. You have their clothes not expiring in the wilderness. Uh, you just have one after another, after another, after another. And, and even the testimony of Rahab, uh, even in the testimony of the Gibeonites, you know, they said, we've seen the works that God has done. We know that God's given you the land. And so, again, all of this that God is using uh, his people for a particular purpose of trying to bring other people unto himself. So God works through his people with the intention that they would turn from their sins and turn to God. And so, uh, you know, the, the same thing is, is, is happening here with respect to these skilled workers. That, that thing happened also in the tabernacle uh, with Moses. You can find that there in Exodus 31 and Exodus 35. So, Solomon's letter here is a, a commercial contract to pay for the wood uh, for Hiram's household and also to pay the worker one large payment for their labor, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 10. So until the work is completed, King Hiram's household receives annually 125,000 bushels of wheat, 115,000 gallons of pure olive oil. Uh, the workers receive one payment of 125,000 bushels of wheat, 125,000 bushels of barley, and 115,000 gallons of wine of olive oil, and of olive oil, which would be divided amongst all the workers. So Hiram, king of Tyre, says, hey, that works for me. He cuts down the trees there in Lebanon, and they begin the work. Now, at Joppa, Solomon's men would claim the timber and transport it over land. So his men go and they meet their men and they begin to bring a lot of this lumber that's necessary. Now, Solomon supervised over everything that was happening. He obviously, he would have uh, supervisors under him that would give him, report to him uh, as the authority. But the men knew that God had chosen Solomon to oversee this. And so uh, they were working hard uh, to do what God wanted them to do. And God had given to both Hiram and to Solomon unbelievable wealth to do this project. It's an amazing thing in this building of his temple that God gave peace when this temple was being built. Now, obviously, Solomon deviated from the Lord and would suffer later on. But there was a conscription of laborers, 1 Kings chapter 5, chapter 9, and other passages of Scripture. Now, This temple, obviously, as we have looked at, takes seven years to complete. 
They have to fall the trees, trim the logs, transport them, uh, and then work them uh, into their appropriate positions. David's incomplete census revealed that there were 1.3 million able-bodied men in the land, 2 Samuel 24, 9. Now that incomplete census obviously resulted in David losing 70,000 people uh, because of his pride in the census. Nevertheless, Solomon conscripts about 30,000 people to labor on the temple. So he's using only about 2.3% of the able-bodied force. But 30,000 men working on the temple, uh, you know, however long during that seven-year period, but nevertheless, that's a large amount of people. 2 Samuel 24, 9, Joab gives the number of the 1.3 million. In fact, there was about 800,000, as uh, this passage says, 800,000 in Israel that drew the sword, and then an additional 500,000 uh, men of Judah. And so there's a distinction between Israel and Judah here. But nevertheless, 1.3 million uh, people capable at the time of David, 2 Samuel 24. 10,000 of the men spent one month each quarter in Lebanon assisting Hiram's men in their work. They had two months at home, so you'd have one month on, two months off, and uh, working. These men were Jewish citizens. They were not slaves. And they shared in the wages that Solomon would give to Hiram's laborers. So Solomon would take a census of the non-Israelite aliens or, you know, uh, foreigners in the land. And he drafted an additional 150,000 to cut and transport stones for the temple. 70,000 carried burdens and another additional 80,000 cut limestone blocks from the hills. So in charge of this group, there's 3,000 overseers, 300 supervisors who were aliens. I mean, they're the non-Jewish-born people. And over the entire group were 250 Jewish officers. These stones had to be cut so specifically, and these men uh, did that, and they took incredible care and precision to cut them to the dimensions that they were given. And uh, the conscription here of all of these men, thousands and thousands and thousands of men for the temple, It was really still only a small portion uh, of the male citizens. And the Jewish people, you know, resented Solomon taking 30,000 of their own uh, to work in Lebanon four months out of the year. And uh, there is a critical attitude to help strengthen the people's revolt, uh, which would help Rehoboam and precipitate really ultimately the division of the nation. And uh, you'd find that there in 1 Kings 12. So we find he's working hard. I mean, Solomon is a man of just administration, logistics, uh, wise beyond his years that God gave him. But not only did he pull men to build the temple, uh, he gave them labor and taxes. Uh, He put a heavy yoke upon them. And uh, obviously that would come to roost during the time of Jeroboam in his succession of his father. And Jeroboam made some very unwise decisions. Jews and Gentiles would assist in this construction. And uh, this was to be a house of prayer for all nations. Uh, look with me at um, Isaiah 56, 7, in speaking of the temple. Isaiah 56, 7. Solomon obviously did not have the same care for the people that David did. David was a shepherd uh, at heart. Uh, Solomon was a man of administration, and so there were differences, and they still accomplished what God wanted, uh, but uh, obviously Jeroboam uh, resisted advice and, and uh, went the wrong direction. Isaiah 56, 7, 
Uh, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Uh, that their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called in house of prayer for all people. So twice in this verse, uh, Jesus would say this again in Matthew 21, Luke 19, we find this same uh, phrase used by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, after the captivity, the Persian government would assist the Jews in rebuilding their temple, right, under Cyrus. And uh, many of the Jewish leaders would turn to the court of the Gentiles, uh, as Jesus would talk about, into a place of merchandise as opposed to a place of worship. And uh, Hiram's workmen in Lebanon were not worshipers of the Lord. Uh, and the aliens in the land of Israel were not Jewish proselytes. So they're not necessarily, uh, they're doing their job, they're getting a pay uh, to do the work on the temple. Not everyone that was working on it necessarily had a faith in God. Yet God would use these outsiders uh, to build his temple. Uh, it could very well be. There's times even in this building, you know, in this church building, we've had individuals that have done work on it, some electricians and otherwise, uh, that do not have a faith in God. Uh, but yet they've helped uh, to, you know, do what we needed them to do. But God uses this, you know, God's desire is still that all men would be saved. Uh, as we find from Scripture, 1 Timothy 2.4, God would use uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Babylonian army, to chasten, to discipline Israel uh, for their defiance against the Lord. And he used Cyrus, though, uh, to help rebuild the temple, temple number two, temple version two. And uh, in the building of the temple here, 1 Kings chapter 6, going back there, get to these verses here in just a moment, you may be asking, what were David's two greatest sins? You know, many would reply, the adultery with Bathsheba and, and then the taking the census. But, and, and these answers are correct. One of the issues is, as a result of David's numbering the people, David would purchase property on Mount Moriah, where he built an altar and worshiped the Lord, 2 Samuel 24, that chapter talks about it. Uh, David would marry Bathsheba uh, and give a son, that son would be Solomon. So now we have Solomon building a temple on David's property here on Mount Moriah. So God would take these two consequences of David's awful sins and a piece of property and a son, and he would build a temple. You know, in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God still took Solomon, the son of an adult, or the origination of the relationship of an adulterous relationship with David. Now he married her, he was married when Solomon was conceived and born, but nevertheless, there's still a, uh, you know, the relationship did not start right. He also takes the property from the census and God still has the grace to use Solomon in a, in a magnificent way. And obviously, as you read Psalm 31, uh, you would hear much about uh, what a blessing, what a godly lady Bathsheba would come to be. So it's an encouragement. You know what? We can mess up in our lives, and God can still use us in great ways. Yes, there can be some scars. Uh, yes, there can be some things that we may regret from our past. But in this building of the temple, and the fact that Solomon, not Adonijah, not Absalom, obviously these guys are now off the scene, but that God would, from a bad relationship, form an incredible, incredible place of worship to himself. You know, and Satan wants us to think that, you know, oftentimes when we may have messed up, 
that everything is lost. Uh, God can't use me anymore. I'm no good. But the fact remains that God can still use us. 1 Peter 5.10 But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And so God here, when you really think about Solomon, and yes, Solomon made some, you know, and even in Solomon's latter years, writing the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, some of the wisdom that uh, God obviously imparted to him through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, uh, you know, he learned a lot of things. He learned a lot of the foolishness of the 700 wives, 300 concubines, the, all the wealth and everything that he had, that he had neglected that which was most important, and that was God. Now, as we come back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 6, here in Solomon in the building of the temple, uh, let's look at the first, uh, uh, the outer structure of the temple, chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass in the 480, excuse me, 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt. In the fourth year of Solomon, Solomon's reign over Israel in the month Ziph, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. And the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, the length thereof was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof twenty cubits, and the height thereof thirty cubits. And the porch before the temple of the house, 20 cubits, was the length thereof, according to the breadth of the house. And 10 cubits was the breadth thereof before the house. And for the house he made windows of narrow lights, and against the wall of the house he built chambers round about, against the walls of the house round about, both of the temple and of the oracle, and he made chambers round about. The nethermost chamber was five cubits abroad, and the middle was six cubits broad. And the third was seven cubits broad, for without in the wall of the house he made narrowed rests round about, that the beams should not be fastened in the walls of the house. And the house, when it was in building, was built of stone made ready before it was brought thither, so that, that there was neither him, hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in the building. The door for the middle chamber was in the right side of the house, and they went up with winding stairs into the middle chamber and out of the middle into the third. So he built the house and finished it and covered the house with beams and boards of cedar. Then he built chambers against all the house, five cubits high, and they rested on the house with timber of cedar. So there's a, a statement here in, the, in verse 10 talking about a cubit. Now there is a short cubit in that time or a common cubit, uh, both of those synonymous, and uh, that represents what we would have as 18 inches today. There is a long cubit, a long cubit, if it was mentioned, uh, would be 21 inches, and a common cubit was that which was used for the temple. Uh, so the temple was nearly 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. So <clears throat> thinking about it, it would be roughly the size of that wall to the end of the foyer, uh, about uh, 30 feet wide, so a little bit narrower, because we're about, what, 42 feet wide, so take 10 feet off, uh, and, then, uh, and then 45 feet high, so a little bit taller than our ceiling here. A porch 30 feet wide and 15 feet deep stood at the front of the temple in a courtyard for the priests. It would surround the sanctuary. Uh, I was separated from an outer courtyard by a wall composed of stone blocks and wood. Uh, we'll find that here in verse 36 of chapter 6. And he built the inner court with three rows of hewed stone and a rows of cedar beams. So there's a separation here. There's an upper courtyard. It had three levels of rooms attached to outer walls. So each chamber was seven and a half feet high. Uh, hopefully you weren't too tall. 
um, seven and a half feet, obviously a little bit shorter than our normal height of a room. Uh, the walls are supported by constructed, they had three stair steps, chambers on wooden supports, and uh, these chambers probably used for some storage as well. A narrow passage connecting the rooms. There was no windows in the tabernacle of Moses, but there's windows in this one. Now, verses 11 through 13 here, uh, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 11, And the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this house, which thou art in building, if thou wilt walk in my statutes, and execute my judgments, and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will not forsake my people Israel. What is God doing here? He's telling Solomon, listen, you've got to stay focused on me. Don't lose your focus. You know what? It can oftentimes come when you're involved in a project. You're involved in something of significant work, significant effort, that you can lose the reason why you're doing what you're doing. And as an intermission, God says, hey, Solomon, let's stop here for a second. I want you to realize... If you continue to walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep my commandments, then I will perform my word with thee, which I spake to David. And there's God saying, listen, I'm going to continue to dwell amongst you. So he reminds them that he's not comp- God's not impressed if our work isn't in obedience to him and with, an, uh, with a focus upon him. I, Ephesians 6.6 6 tells us, not with eye servants as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. God wants to fulfill his promises to David and Solomon. He wants to continue the legacy. He wants Israel to maintain prominence. He wants Israel to be a light to the nations. He wants the temple to be a place that his name can stay upon. Uh, And so this is an an amazing thing that goes on. Now, there's also a second time that God speaks to Solomon about obedience. And he speaks to him again uh, at the dedication of the temple, chapter 9 verses 3 through 9, and uh, you can read that if you'd like. But when the building was being completed, overlaid with gold, the workers focused on the inside of the temple. They wanted the inside of that temple to be so opulent, so beautiful, because it's reflecting the glory and the grandeur of God. Now, obviously, it's a human thing and can never get to the full scale, but they wanted it with their hearts intent on making this place absolutely Uh, gorgeous. The interior walls from ceiling to floor were paneled with cedar boards overlaid with gold, carved open flowers and gourds, and the floor was covered with planks of pine overlaid with gold. I mean, I I can't even imagine seeing something, uh, you know, I'm I'm also thinking about all the cleaning you have to do. Please don't leave fingerprints, you know, all that kind of stuff. But there's beautifully carved folding doors led into the holy place from the court of the priests, the cherubims, these doors were made of olive wood, covered with gold, hinges of gold, uh, golden chains hung across the outside of the doors. At the west end of the holy place, 60 feet from the doors, hung the beautiful veil that would mark off the holy of holies, also called the most holy place. It says in Second Chronicles 3.10, uh, and in the most holy house, he made two cherubims of image work and overlaid them with gold. So there's a room with a cube measuring 30 feet on every side, verse 20 of chapter 6. And um, 
and the oracle in the four part was 20 cubits in length and 20 cubits in breadth and 20 cubits in the height thereof, and he overlaid it with pure gold and so covered the altar, which was of cedar. So <clears throat> you have here this holy place. The Tabula Nacional of Moses, the Holy of Holies, uh, was also a cube, but it measured only 15 feet per side, and so this one's larger. The dimensions of the, te- uh, tab- uh, the, excuse me, the temple were twice the size of the tabernacle, 90 feet by 30 feet as opposed to 45 by 15. Obviously, if you're moving the tabernacle, you wouldn't, you know, the smaller the better for the carrying of it around. And so it was a little bit more conducive to uh, being carried around. The walls of the holy places were paneled with cedar covered with gold, and then obviously the gold fir planks on the floor. Uh, unbelievable, just the, the mastery of work in the building of God's temple. In the Holy of Holies, we find the Ark of the Covenant, and it represents really the throne of God. Let's look at Psalm 80, verse 1. Uh, Psalm 80, verse 1. Just a short description of this. In Psalm chapter, Psalm 80, not Psalm chapter, which is already a psalm. Psalm 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, that thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubim, shine forth. And so upon, you would have the Ark of the Covenant, you'd have the two cherubims on it, and then above the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. Uh, And obviously you would have the law and the covenant. So between the law... was the the mercy seat, right? So the mercy seat is our access to God through the mercy of God. So across the top of the ark was the mercy seat, and each end was a cherub made of olive wood and covered with gold. The cherubim were 15 feet high, their wings 15 feet across, uh, so that as the ark sat in the Holy of Holies, the four wings would reach from wall to wall. Uh, verse, chap- verse 23 of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 6, verse 23. And within the oracle, here is the place, the Holy of Holies, he made two cherubims of olive tree, each ten cubits high, and five cubits uh, was the one wing of the cherub, and five cubits the other wing of the cherub. From the uttermost part of the one wing and the uttermost part of the other were ten cubits. And the other cherub was ten cubits. Both the cherubims were of one measure and one side. The height of the one cherub was ten cubits, and so was it of the other cherub. And he set the cherubims within the inner house, and they stretched forth the wings of the cherubim, so that the wing of the one touched the one wall, and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. And their wings touched one another in the midst of the house, and he overlaid the cherubims with gold. So here, God is going from house to house, reaching it. It is only once a year that they could enter this place to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat, covering the sins of the people for a yet another year. And Hiram cast two large pillars of bronze, each 27 feet high, going forth from here, and uh, 18 feet in circumference. 27 feet high, 18 feet in circumference. Huge, massive pillars. A decorative capital, capital excuse me, four feet high, rests on top of each pillar. There was also, it was comprised of an inverted bowl, lotus petals, and a network of interwoven chains and pomegranates. These two pillars that were made... Uh, remain Joachim, or I mean he establishes, and Boaz, which means in him is strength. And so, <clears throat> Second uh, Kings chapter 25, if you want to look there, talks about the heights 
uh, of these, uh, these pillars, if you want to look at that for your own. 2 Kings 25, 17, just the, the enormous <laughs> enormity uh, of these and how large uh, this whole temple was. 2 Kings 25, verse 17, it talks about the pillars here. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits. Remember, a cubit is a foot and a half. And the chapter upon it was brass. And the height of the chapter, three cubits, and the wreath, uh, the wreath and work. And the pomegranates upon the chapter round about, all of brass and likened to these, had the second pillar with wreath and work. So 25 feet high. Just huge, or very, very large. Or what did it say, say there? I'm measuring that wrong. 27 feet high, 18 feet in circumference. The two pillars he establishes, and in him is strength, stood outside the place of the holy place. A jockin to the to north and Boaz to the south. And so you think about this, the he in these definitions about these pillars is a reference certainly to God. The pillars bore witness to the Jewish people that it was God who had established the nation. Uh, then after this, there would be the furnishing of the temple. And so... Again, just God brings in thousands and thousands of workers. He brings in tremendous wealth, material. I mean, God put this whole thing together. God uh, gave the plans for it to Solomon. Uh, It just so happens that man is the tool that God uses to build his temple. Much like we would have today, that it is God who orchestrates us as we follow him uh, to carry out his plans Uh, for our life. And I will finish up next time with the furnishing of the temple about the brazen altar and the other parts of this going on. So, but, you know, uh, in this whole thing about the temple and the massive amount of laborers that God is using, Solomon, that God uh, brought it all together, that David had started the process and collecting of the material, you know what, It, it all shows to God's handiwork and God's hand Uh, upon Israel, the fact that he wants Israel to stand above the nations uh, and testify to the genuineness, the sincerity, and the exclusiveness of God as the only God of the world, uh, and to be quite distinct from all others. And so uh, it is a reminder to us that God continues in every generation. He wants to be exalted. He wants to be worshiped properly. And here God is giving himself a place uh, wherein it's a house of prayer. It's a place that his name rests upon. And it's a place that the Israelites know that they can go and uh, God's presence will be there. No, obviously God's presence, as we'll look at, would end up leaving uh, because of sinfulness in the land. Let's pray and we'll conclude for Sunday school and then we'll come to our morning hour. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your wonderful grace. Lord, I thank you for with respect to this temple, uh, Lord, these massively large pillars, uh, the long, just how you put it all together, Father, into a place that would testify of you. And Israel lost her privilege of the temple. They lost her privilege of prominence because of Lord failing to be obedient to you. Jeroboam would also lose that. And Father, if we in our own lives fail to just be obedient 
then, Lord, we lose the privilege of knowing you closely. Father, I love you and I thank you for what an amazing Savior you are. I pray that you'd help us as we come into the morning hour. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' precious name I pray.